Hello and welcome to your review for the 21st of March 2023. You'll notice that I am not your regular host. I am not Graham Mackay. I am Claire Wilde and I am here, of course, with the regular panellist. It's Christian Wolf. Hi, Christian. Hello, Claire. How are you doing? Yes, I'm, I'm just happy someone is here to keep order because <laughs> it would be chaos. If I was in charge of this, it's chaos anyway. Nah, it's not with me in charge. It'll be absolutely fine. We've also got another panelist this evening. Well, we're recording in the evening. You may not be listening to it in the evening. It's Annabelle McDonald. Hi, Annabelle. Hi, Claire. Thanks for inviting me along to the chaos to hopefully not make it worse. Hi. Well, we were just talking about your when we're testing the mics and stuff before podcasts. If I ever ask people the classic, what did you have for breakfast question? Yours is always my favourite answer. And this this evening's did not disappoint. Thank you. Yes, I definitely only had one cream egg for breakfast. (laughs) There we go. And uh, I think Christian's having Haribo for his dinner. So it's all good. We're all fine. We're all absolutely fine. Christian, how's things? Um, you, you're, gonna, you're missing your wee pal. He's in Norway. He's in your mother country. Yes. Um, I think he's seen more of Norway in the last four days than I have. Ever. <laughs> Ever. Um, <laughs> but I, I did promise that um, there would be a band section without him. So I put that into, into the rundown. Um, see, the band sec- it's, section, you know, it, it might seem improvised. It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Oh. Oh, to that. oh god are you telling me you rehearsed this beforehand yes imagine if we didn't <laughs> no we didn't <laughs> so but yeah to give everybody an update on graham he is okay um he hasn't frozen to death <laughs> this he's been keeping me updated and this tree thinks has really uh leapt to his attention or okay. disgust okay or, or bewilderment one is that his first night he went to a sort of like self-service hotel where he opened his hotel door using his phone okay which which is quite shocked by then he's he can't understand why you can seemingly can buy a troll in every shop but you can't buy wine (laughs) like a a troll like a it's just there's trolls everywhere okay you can buy like a like a toy troll in every single shop he says but you can't buy wine which is true okay because of the film or is that a cultural thing uh that's that's about that's of course it's a cultural thing. Do you know? Do you don't know anything about Norway, Annabelle? <laughs> no, um, I'm. It's I'm literally more... a troll on the flag. There's not, but yeah, it is. <laughs> I was going to ask Annabelle of... how much she knew about Norway, and I think we've got our answer. <laughs> I, I was going to ask about sauna culture, but never mind saunas. I'm now learning about the the absolutely endemic I mean, troll culture. <laughs> you've done a bit of a faux pas there because it's it's more the Finnish, really, though. Okay. It's a sauna. I, I, know I thought it was a Scandinavian thing. That's where oh, I'm coming oh. from. I oh, was you've, led you've, to believe. Oh, oh, you said Scandinavian now instead of Nordic, no. and now he's upset. <laughs> I know it's Norway, not in Scandinavia. I know Finland's not. Okay, no, that's good. So as long as we're clear on that, I had to yes. have a long talk with Graham before he went. <laughs> I, I specifically said Scandinavian because I know that Norway is. I wasn't alluding to Finland when I said Scandinavia there. Don't worry, I've been trained to say the Nordic countries when referencing Finland. I, I do remember you you are aware of the oddness of the eccentricity of, of the Finnish people. Um all too well, yeah. yes. What what it, it was did... the what was the third thing on Graham's list of he's discovered what everybody finds amusing in Norway is that the word for speed is fart, but it, is, it looks like fart. And then a speed bump 
is essentially a fart stump, sort of <laughs> fart dump. That's so good. That is, that is a lot of fun, isn't it? I like that. It's had a lot of fun. <laughs> That's amazing. You've sold Norway to me. I love it. <laughs> Annabelle is booking her tickets after this <laughs> podcast is recorded. <laughs> I'm delighted that Graham is having a good time. Um, I'm sure he's not missing us at all. And he's, um, but it'll be lovely to have him back. Um, we are here, of course, to talk about tactics, stats, Celtic, yes. football. Um, we're going to look at the Hibs game to start with. Christian, am I correct? Any game you like, really, but I thought we going to start Hibs with Hibs. Yes, of course. I, I do apologise to the listeners. There's only 19 images uh, today. But we'll, we'll go through because we've got a couple of things on the agenda as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it, no, it'll be good. Let's Let's just get straight into it. I mean, this game... Let's talk about how we set up for this game and the lineup and everything like that to start with, Christian. That's always a good place to start. Yeah, I guess with Celtic, you know what you're going to get, uh, except for a couple of the player selections. So that wasn't a real surprise. But I, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know me and Graham go, when are we ever going to play a team that has forwards back? And we were really hopeful this time because Hibs was actually the last team outside of, the, of a derby where uh, a team faced Celtic with a four in the back on the 28th of December. Um, so we watched the game so it gets Rangers there, you know, when they, they got popped and we say, oh, I hope they don't play a back four. Of course, what happens? Saturday comes along, it's a 5-3-2, a 5-3-3, again. So, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to see a back four again against Celtic. But <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if Annabelle, but this this back five is uh, I, I see it in my sleep now. What about you? It's soul destroying <laughs> seeing them line up like that. Um, I didn't realize it had been that long. Actually, hearing you say it was December was the last time is really really grim. But it's just. I just every time it feels like, oh, good, it's going to be more anti-football. Yay. It almost <laughs> makes me want to just go and play in Europe and get absolutely hammered because at least <laughs> at least someone actually tries to play against us. <laughs> so uh, I'm afraid I have the, the usual images. Image one is hips in their 5-3-1-1. With, uh, but I think the funny thing with well, body uh-huh, is <laughs> Celtic have been facing, as we say, these like back fives. Throughout the season, right? But the quote-unquote lesser teams, I think, do it more aggressively. They do better, and they actually want to try and push up. But you got teams like you know, the game. I'm jumping a little bit here, but the game, the Hibs game, really reminded me of was the Aberdeen away game because Aberdeen sat very low, very narrow, you know, very flat lines. And hips, again, more of the same. Even before the, the sending off, they were much lower. They were much less aggressive. Um, and they were just so much, I guess, more defensive than, quote-unquote, like weaker teams Yeah, that, that that come to Celtic Park or, or face Celtic anywhere to, to do this. And I don't know if it's because they don't train that much at it, whereas, you know, the more weaker teams have... Or training and doing this, maybe, or fought it out. And teams like Aberdeen and Hibs kind of just changed the tactics for this game. And I think you see it because this is 
I can Aberdeen and Hibs has probably been the two most defensive teams against Celtic this season. Mm. So you're sort of saying that the fact that we might expect that, that it's almost the teams we might expect to go for at the back and actually play against us that when they sit back it's almost like they're not doing it as well because they it's not their modus operandi that's not how they do things usually so they're kind of sitting somewhere in this no man's land of not quite playing one system or the other it seems like that way i mean i think hearts slight sometimes play a back five and they're a bit more adventurous but yeah aberdeen and hips and if you look at things like you know how often celtic have the ball against them and so on like and the way they actually play this block you know image two and three is just a representation of we always talk about this in this back five against teams like kilmarks and Justin. you have this midfield tree for the position but the way they kind of overcome just having three you know uh, players in that line is that they make one of their center backs because they got three jump up but image two and three like just didn't happen with hips mm. just they just sat in the back five and a lot of the reason for that was i think there was actually so little space between the midfield line and the defensive line that to be honest they didn't have to jump up because they were sitting so low anyway so yeah i, I think you're right Claire. I, I think that's because they i think guys like lee johnson and then you know, Goodwin before him if Aberdeen just went, ah, I, I really don't want that big beating. I'm just going to, let's just sit at the back. Mm. And they just, I just go too low. They go too far the other way, really. Yeah. Annabelle, do you notice that I'm obviously, you've got the images that Christian's sent through, but like looking at that, is there anything that sort of st- stands out to you particularly as someone who's like not looking at images like this day in, day out in the same way Christian is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was actually definitely the fact that the they were just keeping that five at the back, even when pushing forward. It just kind of, I didn't notice it in live time because I don't notice these things without such expert analysis in front of me. Um, so it just shows a complete lack of ambition. Like you could see it in the way they were playing, but to see it laid out so clearly, like um, we're going to move up the pitch, but we're not going to commit very hard to it because we know you're just going to come back at us. It's just so accepting your fate. It's just so defeatist and kind of pathetic and I mean I know we're going to talk about all this stuff later but just it's not a good um, reflection on Scottish football at all to come with that attitude I don't think it's really sad I, I do think obviously well I've saved the stats for the last <laughs> right <laughs> as a treat um, but I think the whole game will you, you do have to see it in the context of how low and how defensive Hips actually was because this wasn't like facing Kilmarnock, St Johnston, St Mirren, mm. like Ross County. They are less defensive. They're less in terms of that just sitting like solo. So I, I think you have to see everything in this game in kind of within that, you know, like frame of reference. Um, and like there's lots of images here, like like we had the return of the box. You know, image four and five. So essentially, what happens is Celtic didn't, unless they were very, very quick in the build up and very precise, hips would fall down so quickly. And what these teams with like five at the back and three in the middle often do then, if you go wide, is that they have their wide fullback and one of the centre backs and then two midfielders just creating this kind of box of four. Mm-hmm. So Celtic tried to go wide with two, three players. It's, it's just so difficult because they've fallen so low so quickly and 
just you have to be so precise to to get anywhere with it. So yeah, it's it's just it's a it is really difficult to play with uh, play against. So in that sense, is it a good tactic? Like. I'm kind of struggling. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Do you do you think they did the right? Is that the right thing? To, should they have been doing something like that? Or I, to be honest, I don't think so because I know Aberdeen came close to get a point, and I know that Hibs kind of came close to get a point as well. But I think if you let Celtic that far in, if you let them kind of come into like your area so much so frequently you really are at the mercy of just the good luck gods really. mm. and for me I thought up until the penalty I thought Celtic did quite well because mm-hmm. I, I, I think it was really difficult for them to kind of create anything you know behind Hibs defence or especially in the middle Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple of things we can point out that wasn't great, but it is really difficult when they fall so quickly. Yeah. But they were really good at creating chances and combinations and setting up stuff from out wide. You know, I'm jumping a little bit. I'm yeah. going to jump with it. But like, well, if I was going to like, yeah. ask before we kind of delve deep into kind of the Celtic performance in detail, like just to get Annabelle's opinion on how it looked to her from the aspect of watching the game. And then we can kind of like, what were your thoughts on how we were playing? And obviously looking at these pitches, how we were playing against the Hibs that was setting up in the way that it was. Yeah, I thought, I didn't think we were doing that badly and we did create chances going back and watching the highlights. You know, Marshall had a few saves. We hit the bar, the bar, the post, no, the bar. (laughs) The bar, do. <laughs> the bar doesn't sound right to me. You're having one why. of those moments where you forget what words to use. I am. It's Monday and I'm sleepy. Apologies. <laughs> um, but yeah, like looking back, I remember in real time thinking like, this is frustrating and we're really not getting anywhere, but we are creating chances. That wasn't it. It wasn't a case of, you know, we had some fairly low quality final balls, I thought, but it wasn't like nothing was getting through. You could see the chance creation was there and I think we were hampered a little bit by a loss of creativity. That was kind of my main thoughts after Hatati went off and we had no Moy. I felt a bit like, oh, we're just kind of a bit static. But I thought, yeah, we did. It seemed like we were doing well with what we had. And it did kind of feel like it was a matter of time up until the penalties when it was maybe a bit deflated. Mm. Christian? Yeah. I, I've, I've, I think Celtics, for me, best period. He's probably up that time until the hips penalty because as I said it's difficult like <laughs> like images six seven and eight is just just some example of how ultra low hips started to go after the, the red card as well like image seven is, is a personal favorite of mine because you had all 10 <laughs> hips outfield players in a square box that I've, I've made but it's it's essentially from this 18 yard line up until about 25 yards. So it's about 10 yards up and it's the width of maybe the six yard box and all 10 hips players are within that. And I mean, image eight is kind of just, you see how I think nine of the hips players in this, and this is not like after a set piece or something, 
this is just a nine of the house players has in their own penalty box and Celtic is just trying to, to play around them. Mm. Um, but even though Celtic didn't have much space to play in, I thought they did almost as well as you could expect from trying to create out wide, right? And it's just because you can't create that much for central. So, but image nine is just, I wanted to kind of highlight this because you said, Claire, you, is this, is this a smart thing to do from hips? And you go and you look at the outcome of this and you mm-hmm. said, well, there was, there were only nine minutes away. But I think if you invite Celtic that low, uh, if you sit so low, so you invite Celtic so close to your half uh, yeah. penalty box and they can go around you, Celtic are going to create chances because they're, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. They're really good, right? <laughs> they, they are really good. So image nine, like, so up until the penalty, Celtic's got 11 shots. Nine of them are within the box. And an XG of, like, if you round it up, it's 1.5 XG. So they yeah. create an XG of, so in, in normal circumstances, just like your average team or average set of finishing rates and stuff like that, you score between one or two goals from the chance to sell to create before the hips penalty. Mm-hmm. So I, I, so you can say, oh, did it work from hips? I don't think it did. It's just one of, sometimes you just get a bit lucky. You know, David Marshall gets a couple of um, saves, you know, the finishing just in all instances wasn't quite sharp enough, which, which can happen. So I think up until the penalty, even with the kind of challenges Celtic are facing, I thought Celtic were good. And I think yeah, losing Hatate is like always, because yeah. I, I think he's, he's Celtic's best player, so you're going to lose him. But And we'll get to David Turnbull, because I know Annabelle's got a lot to say about him. <laughs> but I, I, I don't think he was a major issue as too much up until the penalty. I think what happens between the penalty and, and the second goal is a different story. But up until the penalty, I thought, oh, this is, this is okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> Annabelle, so basically you were right. We were creating chances. It's frustrating. To, it's sometimes frustrating to watch though, isn't it? When you can see that we're kind of doing the right thing and we're making things happen and we're playing against the system in the right way and it's still not kind of coming off. And I think sometimes that can feel more frustrating as you're watching the game? It felt a bit like, I don't know, Champions League group stage vibes. Like, <laughs> you know, creating chances and just hitting the post or just being getting unlucky. It happens. And yeah, I mean, I do put a lot of that down to, you know, they're lucky they've got a good shot stopper and goal. Um, I wonder mm-hmm. what that's like. But um, yeah, we, we, <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but I agree. It is kind of more frustrating. But at the same time, and I know I think I said this on the last reaction that I did, like you do have a bit more of a sense of calm with that now. Like it's frustrating, but I wasn't, again, I announced um, in the first half that I wouldn't start worrying until it's 85 minutes and we're either down or drawing. So mm-hmm. it was a weird, frustrated calm just like hurry up just we know you're going to score Let's yeah do it. yeah it was a weird roller coaster ride of a game to watch wasn't it it was it, weird it, and it, oh, sorry no i was just gonna ask christian looking at these pictures and i kind of thought this in real time did hibs after you know going a man down i think that was what about just halfway into the first half um did they just like they didn't really change formation, did they? Did they just cut off their striker and then they're like, well, we'll just keep playing the exact same way, make absolutely no changes and cling on for dear life? Pretty much, because obviously I had, I think I said on the the preview that I wasn't able to watch this game live because I had like this, 
Max's birthday party celebrations and stuff all day. So, but I was so saw the score like it was following a football, but it's like ah, you know, Hatate went off. They got a guy sent off. You know, the the game would have changed completely after that. I, I thought, you know, because you know they would just sit low and so on. Honestly, see see if you watched a game and they, they took away the one minute the guy gets sent off. I don't think you would have noticed that they had been sent off because, as you say, Johan up front, like, I mean, he's got some qualities, but pressing and defensive work is not one of them. So I I, I don't think it hardly made any difference. I mean, Hibs maybe got a little bit lower, and obviously, but he didn't do much pressing anyway, Johan. So, so you behind them was pretty much the same formation. So I, I think you're right, Daniel. That's, that was the really surprising thing when I, when I watched it back because I thought, oh, there would have been a complete change in the game state and why everything else. But they were that low and that defensive and that you know non-ambitious from the start. So as I said, I thought up until the penalty, I thought Celtic were calm. They were creating stuff, even though they had to do from out wide. I thought, you know... Obviously, the left hand side, you can do that. I thought Alistair Johnson and Jota combined a nice, uh, a few times down on the right. Uh, you know, Kyogo had chances and so on. So from within what they had to work with and the work against it for Celtic were, were good up until the penalty and then the penalty. So, mm. yeah. And then the penalty, which is psychologically, obviously. That's a blow, but I don't know how quickly I want to move on to talking about the midfield and losing Hatate and bringing on David Turnbull. Should we do that now? I can see Annabelle is, is desperate. <laughs> She's champing at the bit turn. here. <laughs> but I think... Bumping at the mouth already. Because one of the questions I was just going to ask you there, Christian, as well, is like, could Celtic have done any more? Could could when When they went a man down, could we have done anything else to sort of disrupt them or to disrupt the way that they were playing yeah, to take advantage of that, like, and I, I do, and this is very much like, you know, you can look at this afterwards and try to draw conclusions of what you already know. But you know, image ten, like second half, it continues. Your hips just crowd out. But I do think, looking back at it, once hips got the penalty, I don't think Celtic panicked. But I felt there was more of a sense of they kind of got a little bit, a lot of players started trying to do stuff for themselves. Take shots around really on, do a lot of crossing. And I, I tried to kind of have a look at some of the stats and the passing patterns from it. So image 11 and image 12 is, is probably a, good, a couple of good things, good things we can look at to see what actually happened and then we can kind of talk about why it happened but yeah image 11 is first of all it's it's the passing pattern for, for celtic from the start mm-hmm. to the hip goal, and then afterwards the hips uh from the first hip goal to the second celtic goal okay and, and you can see how much especially afterwards celtic is just a huge horseshoe mm-hmm. of passing around hips box and then you got yellow on this is you know passes that you know, actually is inaccurate and it's just lots of crosses into the box. Celtic had nine crosses up until Hibs first goal and they have 20 crosses from the first Hibs goal to the second Celtic uh, goal as well. So, okay, it's about 10 more minutes of play there, but they have over double the crosses. So, and then, as I said, again, shooting-wise, um, 
start to the hips go up up until then. Celtic had actually 1.64 XG um, up until that. And then afterwards, they had 11 shots up until hips penalty, right? Mm-hmm. Between hips' penalty and Celtic's second goal, if you take away the penalty, they had Celtic has 17 shots. So they have lots more shot, but they created less, less XG. So the chances Celtic were creating before hips penalty were almost twice as good in quality. So I think not that they panicked, but I don't know about you, Annabelle, but it just kind of felt like they were getting a bit antsy and there were players maybe weren't, Jota was maybe dribbling a bit too much. Guys like even Greg Taylor, Calma Gregor was taking shots that weren't really on. A lot of crossing and we'll get, maybe get back to why, but it kind of felt that, I know we always call me with the Celtic team now, but um, I don't think they quite stuck to how well they were doing it up until the penalty, then, then after the penalty, hips penalty. Yeah, like I feel like frantic is a bit of a good word for it, but not we didn't feel frantic, but more the players and in, in the way that they were playing, it felt more mm-hmm. frantic, like almost like you could feel the thought process in their heads. And and definitely, I was I was going to say, does that just come down to? Is it the pressure? Is it because of where we are in the season? And, you know, the onus was on us to get the gap up back up to nine points. You know, I don't I'm really interested in what's going on in the players' heads. And because it seems to me like looking at the, the diagrams and seeing like like you were saying, all the random shots from outside the box and things that started happening, which I remember like Callum McGregor can do this sometimes where we might be in less of a bad sorry, we might be more of a bad position. Maybe we've gone down or maybe we're drawing. And he seems to want to like take the game in his own hands and be the one to fix it. And that often does work for him. But more more times when he makes like driving runs, not when he's like, I'll just shoot from outside the box and give up possessions. So is so, it is that just decision yeah, so, making? Is that it? Yeah, sorry to jump in, but I think you're right because he took a shot after like two minutes in the second half. And I go, mate, like, I love you, but don't take that Why? shot. Yeah. Why? He just that's possession gone. Yeah. Even our our boy, our boy Annabelle, Greg Taylor were doing it. I, I remember the Taylor one. I couldn't remember if that was during that mid period between the penalty because he. I can't remember when he went off. Was it after half time? I think he had one in the first half and one in the second half as, okay. as well. But yeah, is you know obviously. Annabelle, like me, you were a Greg Taylor stand before it was cool. Yes. Like everybody's Greg Taylor stand now. Where were no, they yeah. last season? Like exactly. Us, obviously. So, you know, I, I think even he would say like that, you know, it, they were getting a little bit antsy, a little bit frustrated. Yeah. Which, Claire, is a, I think it's a nice segue into frustrated players. We did see a few frustrated players. Yeah, I was. That, I think we'll bring that in at this point. <laughs> I was going to use the segue of someone who likes taking shots from outside the box as well. <laughs> oh, Greg Taylor. David Turnbull. <laughs> oh, of course. We're saving the best for last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> talk to us about first. Let's talk about. Um, well, let's just talk about the midfield three in general. You've ma- mentioned a couple of names. We, of course, have mentioned Turnbull on here, but also Matt O'Reilly, com- his name comes up when you're talking about players that were expressing some frustrations, <laughs> which kind of ties into what you've already said about um, yeah, them kind let's of get, worry- let's get worrying, <laughs> worrying about... Yeah. We will. <laughs> Greg, will, Greg will just keep popping up all the way through. <laughs> so I, I do think... Um, <laughs> Our friend Matt O'Reilly, um, he, he did get a little bit frustrated because 
and I think maybe there's a sense that he he feels he has to do, you know, he he's getting a little bit more limited game time. He, he feels he has to do. But what I do like really like about Matt Riley is he, he is always moving. Like Annabelle said there about and uh, watching a game live, and, and I'm the same. See, if I watch a game live, I can really tell you what happens. Annabelle, I'm, I'd, I'd be terrible in the reaction, honestly. <laughs> So, I am. <laughs> no, no, She's absolutely excellent. no. It, it's, I, I, I always say to people who are on the reaction, like, I'm, I'm so glad it's not me because to be able to come over coherently uh, just afterwards, no way. So, but I think when you try to watch her back and you try to watch a certain place, I think Matt O'Reilly's, I think why I love, love him, so, I love you, Matt. Why I love him so much is he is constantly moving. And I think he, he does a lot of movement that he doesn't get any reward for. And I think image, 17. I might have had to I, I label two images 14 here. Excuse me. The, the, the like sense to the listeners, but this is the. I never uh, noticed you could have got away with that. Didn't don't mention. worry about it. So, but are we is, looking at 14 here? Um, we're looking at an image, okay. uh, Claire. 14 A or B? Well, don't, let's not confuse the listeners. Uh, <laughs> I'm confused myself, but essentially, it will be image 17 for the listeners. And what happens is essentially that. Um, Greg Taylor gets the ball from Carl Starfield. Yeah. And Matt O'Reilly's moving into an area. I think it's a really smart area for him because Maeda's got the wing back, hips wing back covered. Kyogo is covering uh, you know, the mid center back. Mm-hmm. One of the midfielders is jumping up on Greg Taylor, and Matt O'Reilly's got first to space. And it, you know, he's, he's got a big space he can jump into. Greg Taylor just can slide the ball over to him. Yeah. Greg Taylor just don't see him. And he's, I think he's already saying, oh, there's CCP Stewart. You can kind of see O'Reilly like throwing his hands up because there wasn't that many chances to do this when Hibs was actually quite far up. They're quite far up for what to do for the rest of the half. You know, he could have turned. He loves coming over to that other side because he starts on the right-hand side. Here he's coming over on the left-hand side. I think in image 18 is in the second half when Desmayeda is taking the ball down the left-hand side. Again, I think Matt O'Reilly's done the hard yards and he's in front of his marker. Mm-hmm. Maeda can just slip the ball into the penalty box. I think maybe Maeda just doesn't see him as well, but he's got his head down again. He's kind of, he, maybe he's wanting to do a cross and do it. So I think it's that kind of, that kind of frustration and that eagerness for players to maybe do a bit too much <laughs> was visualized in, in Matt O'Reilly's evident frustration that he wasn't, he was making these runs but he wasn't getting the ball that much. Um, image 19 is just a set of three images. And I, I think this is maybe where we turn, come on to like uh, Annabelle's favorite subject, David Turnbull. Uh, it's, <laughs> he's, it's a situation where Celtic is building up. So this is actually in the first half. The ball is going over to Greg Taylor on the left-hand side. And at that point, Cal McGregor is in the middle of Celtic's half. Matt O'Reilly's just below the center circle in Celtic's half, David Turnbull is just running into Hibbs' half. And I think you can see the differences in those kind of players. So this is one example. I know you should just take, pick one, but I think you see this again and again if, if you look for it in these games, is that Matt O'Reilly from starting to 15 yards behind David Turnbull the ball is going down the left-hand side, which is technically David Turnbull's side as a number eight. But Matt O'Reilly makes the hard run. He runs all the way over to the left-hand side to challenge that box. 
David Turnbull is in the middle of the picture, the kind of middle picture of this picture of a tree. There is a chance for David Turnbull to kind of threaten that half space, so that space between the two centre-backs, the side of the penalty box. Matt O'Reilly makes the run all the way over. He does the hard yards. David Turnbull stops up because David Turnbull, what he really wants, he wants to stop up 20 yards from goal, face the ball, receive the ball, turn and shoot. Mm. And, and I think that can be effective if you're in the right set, but I think it's that sense of you have one midfielder in Matt O'Reilly who, who really does the hard yards and you got another one, David Turnbull, who's probably just as good technically, but he doesn't, he just doesn't do the hard yards for me. So, but I know this is Annabelle's team. So I'll let you. <laughs> have the floor, Annabelle. <laughs> I've really set myself up with a target in my head for any DC 14 lovers out there. Um, yeah, it's just, it was really frustrating for me um, losing a tatty so early and then realizing we don't have Moy. So our only option is Turnbull. And it feels really horrible to say that, but. I, I totally agree with what you just said, Christian. I do think Turnbull's a really gifted technical player. He's excellent at set pieces. He's got such a great long range shot on him. He's fantastic like that. But he has got to be at this point the least mobile player in our team. And we have like Anthony Ralston in our team. You know, <laughs> like it's just no offense, Tony, but I just he's so static and such a huge part of our game and the way we play is space and like you were saying, attacking space where you can find it. And in a game like this, every little bit of space counted. And he just I felt like he was so wasteful with it. Cause like you say, just hanging about in those sort of positions, he was like, I could score from here. That's not the way we play anymore, David. You've got to do exactly what Matt O'Reilly was doing, run around, take advantage of any gap you can find, be mobile and be just be dynamic, be all over the place and ready to receive these passes. But he just, with with him in there, I just feel like we lost so much movement and creativity. And I just think with David Turnbull's position in the pecking order now, I just, I don't think, I don't think there's really a place for him in this iteration of, of Celtic anymore. Yeah, for, for me, it's like, and a lot of things doesn't come off for all the midfielders. Like Matt O'Reilly, like, not everything comes off for him, maybe not, especially lately. Same is for Hatate, same is for Moy. But I think with O'Reilly and Hatate, things will not come off here. Every game is it's almost a little bit out of your control in terms of you know setting up chances, taking a shot, you know stuff like finishing and stuff like that. It's it's a little bit random. So I think in this system, especially, you you have to contribute. Thing, the things that you, you is in with it in your like your influence, like you, you can seek those spaces, you can keep running, you, you can't doing those rotations all the time. You keep doing it. I think so. Even if something doesn't really come off for you in that game on the ball in those like last situations, which will be games that they won't. At least you're contributing with the movement because that in the end that, that is important for the system. Is is kind of like that you know. You know, you know, it's the ducks, you know, who are paddling under the water. Like mm, you mm. need someone to do to do that running. So, and things can come off of David Turnbull, and sometimes he gets shots off as well. But I think it's just I don't understand why what's happened with him because, well, I wasn't like I didn't think he was fantastic in the first half season with Ange, but it felt like it was working better with him there. 
at that point. And that's like, I don't know if it's just a team that's taken a step and that's why he seems like he's regressed because he's standing still. But that's a really odd one. Actually, ever since he got that injury in the, in, in the League Cup final, I think he's probably the Celtic players regressed the most, really. Can I just jump in with a question about David, well, sort of David Turnbull's specifically but coming into a midfield like that where we've got such a slick system where it is very much reliant on the system and then you get a player like that who hasn't come into a game that early in a really really long time hasn't had to do those uh, so many minutes and kind of be that especially in the position on the field because what it seemed like to me watching the game like I I, I thought sort of thought Matt O'Reilly didn't have a great game and then I sort of thought about it afterwards and I was like this is really a thing where he didn't have like you're talking about the runs he was making and stuff and you've talked about you know maybe Greg Taylor being frustrated at the speed with which Starfelt was getting the ball to him like everyone had kind of gone into their own heads and gone I'm kind of doing it for myself so you're not having that Matt O'Reilly is he needs that kind of dynamism of like a Hatate or a even a Moy someone who's kind of giving him a little bit more to play off and if he hasn't got that he's a bit lost and then he's frustrated and then he's going I need to impress here and I'm not getting any opportunity to because the ball's not coming to me in the way that I want it to come to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did that make sense? <laughs> no, no, absolutely does. And I think Moy is a good comparison because I don't know if you've been listening, you know, I'm a, not the biggest Moy fan, but <laughs> I, I do think if, because Aaron Moy doesn't have huge, you know, runs as, or, you know, that movement. And, and that's fine because that's who he is. But I think he's been affected within the Celtic team because he can bring something else. You know, he, he can he can make up for the lack of his, you know, he can't run like a Tato O'Reilly, but he, he's he been, been putting in a situation where the team can kind of utilize him effectively. Mm-hmm. And you'd think David Turnbull would be kind of a similar type to that because he doesn't have huge legs, but he should have the techniques. But... And there was a time where I thought, you know, I maybe want Turnbull to get Moyes minutes because he's younger and so on. But Moyes just a better fit within this. See, mm-hmm. if you can't have the legs that had Tati Norelius, at least Moy brings something that makes up for that, if that makes sense. And I think that's why we kind of maybe expected to see from David Turnbull as well, but it just happened. Yeah. Could it's it just... be mentality? Is it? Because it's quite obvious how far down the pecking order he's fallen, and we've seen him have some kind of lukewarm celebrations in recent times, and not seem all that enthusiastic or involved. And I'm not—I'm no body language expert. I'm more just going, you know, just off on an instantaneous interpretation. But is it a case of he's just? Do we think his head's kind of maybe gone and maybe starting to consider his future? Um, I, I mean, it can't be easy. And then I, I got you know. People are always quick to say people are, oh, you know, the heads everyone and they're talking about. I think if 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 you're in a spot like that, I guess mentally where you're, if things are just not going as you, you were hoping they would, you know, in, in your professional life, and it's it must be difficult. And so I think it's hard to tell how much that has to say. But so you, I don't think you can underestimate just feeling happy or feeling comfortable in what you're trying to do. And even if you're not playing, you know, you feel a part of it and you feel like this is, you know, because Matt really similarly can be said about him, but I think he's, I think he's more comfortable in, in, in his position within the squad. Whereas I think there comes maybe 
down to the simple fact and all that his quality is just it's never going to be a good fit and it, it can be better than what it is now but he's I just think he's, he's never going to be close to being a starter under Ange and that's maybe that realisation is it's kind of creeping in a little bit as well but mm-hmm. I don't think I just don't think there's much he can do about it to be honest like he can do more but no matter how much he applies himself I just he's not that fit I think which yeah. is just happens sometimes. Yeah, there'll be all sorts of factors. Like there'll be obviously stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of as well. And I'm kind of thinking about just came into my head when Christopher Julian was talking about after he'd moved on and he made those comments. Oh, about... here we go. Here we go. <laughs> no, 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 no. But he made those comments about working with Ange and there was that kind of discussion about, um, you know, sometimes there is just like as well in terms of like coaching style, personality clash, fit with a team and a manager like if this is a team and a manager that David Turnbull is struggling to like play at his best in, then it's probably is best that he isn't playing for us as much and he moves on. And it's like, you've both already said, it's not necessarily that he's a terrible footballer. He hasn't got quality there. It's just, it's, you know, there'll be a lot of factors going on that we're not aware of is kind of my point. <laughs> it, it is an odd one. It'll be an interesting one in the summer because I think three of the players who you kind of feel is aren't great fit for, for this Ange team for, for different reasons. I think you've got David Turnbull, Tony Ralston as well. Um, and I guess for other reasons, James Forrest, like you all kind of go, well, you're on the fringes and we can probably upgrade on you and that'll be really good. But the thing is, they're Scottish. <laughs> and unless you, unless you, you can't, Literally, you, you can't really replace them with three foreign players because those three foreign players won't fit in the Champions League squad yeah. unless you sell other ones as well. But so oh, that's a whole other thing, uh, isn't it? That's I, a- I think <laughs> in, in a weird like catch twenty two where Celtic kind of go, ah, you can keep your rank because you can fit in the squads, and we can't actually buy three more foreign players unless we sell some because they won't all fit into this bloody squad. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's a weird one, but yeah, for his own sake, I think he just. Next season, he just needs to go where be permanent or be on loan. Next, I, I, you know, he's coming to that age, he needs to play. So, yeah. and I hope it does because there will be a good first term after. Absolutely. Um, we're kind of coming to the end of talking about this game. Annabelle, have you got any final thoughts? And I'm also looking at the rundown Christian's given me where he's written stats, exclamation mark, surprising question mark. <laughs> and thinking, oh, is that a little treat we've got to just finish off with? <laughs> Um, I can tell Christian's dying to talk about his surprising stats. So I'll just say that thank you for teaching me what horseshoe passing is because I actually didn't know and I had to Google it. Word, something. <laughs> it's, I guess it's a U-shape, but a horseshoe just sounds sounds better. But sounds it's, cool. it's Essentially when the other team, like, like call them hips, uh, camp up <laughs> in the middle of uh, in front of their own penalty box and you just have to pass around them or yeah. send crosses in that you miss. I mean, uh, it, it's interesting when you look at those pass maps as well and you're looking at those U-shaped passes all around and there's a kind of hole in the middle, like a sort of donut. <sighs> and that donut almost fits exactly with the compressed tactics of them sitting either just outside or just inside their own penalty box. It's yeah. pretty much exactly where that square of yeah, the nine exactly. outfield hips players was resting. Exactly. I mean, we'll send us a couple of other images. Image 15 is just where the fullbacks receive the passes. Image 16 is where the wingers receive the passes. And you can see it's just, it's all out wide. And obviously, yeah, you do want to go through the middle. And yeah, Celtic could have done better at times. Um, but it's also, see if a team sits in that way. Mm. It's really difficult. And then if you don't, 
And then in the first up, when you create a lot of chances, but you don't get a goal, you know, that's what creeps in. Um, so yes, that's, although I have to mention image 13, is Greg Taylor literally throwing his hands in the air that Carl Starfield <laughs> took too long to send the ball out. And then image 14 is also Greg Taylor getting uh, angry at Carl Starfield, which should, which should be like a running meme because uh, it's not the first time it's happened. Um, Christian, do you think he was actually subbed because he was in a half? It's just take me off. I, I, I did leave one we you know get for number one stand, uh, Greg Taylor stand out of as well. And that we noticed during the game because every time Hibs went long from David Marshall, they would they usually target Celtic's left hand side because Greg Taylor is like half the size of Alison Johnson or Tony Ralston, really. <laughs> but they put like um, Miller, their Hibs right wing back. Up against Greg Taylor, and he's he's pretty much twice Greg Taylor's size as well. But if you notice, he couldn't win a header against Greg Taylor, and what happened every time is like Greg Taylor just jumps into his body, like when he comes up. And Miller was getting more and more frustrated. I I even go like I should have put in here like it's a screenshot after about thirty minutes where Miller was just sitting on his on his butt on the floor, just looking at the referee, going what. Like, can you not see Greg Taylor jumping into me? So this guy's twice as high. Just couldn't win a header against him because Greg Taylor just just jumped into him every time he jumped to jump up. So it was a thought was quite funny. Oh, that's uh, sheer ingenuity. It's like, yeah, I may not be tall, but I can use your height against you. Exactly. What's the that David and Goliath? There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, but I know we've been waiting for the stats before we move on. But because having said all that, and also in the in the fact that obviously Celtic play with one uh, player more for, you know, three-thirds of the uh, game, three-fourths, three-fourths of the game. Three-thirds um, is, the, is the whole game. Yeah, that's, 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 that's <laughs> a good point. 25% of the game, uh, roughly. Um, is that Celtics XG created, even without the penalty, is the fifth highest this season at 3.67. If you exclude the penalty against... It's the third lowest XG conceded. They took 33 shots. That is, this is the big surprise, I guess, slight surprise. That's the most shots Celtic has taken in a game this season. So, no. There you go. And like stuff like getting into the opposition's half, second most time, getting into the opposition's final third, the highest in the league. Getting into the opposition's penalty box and control the ball, the highest in the league this season. Celtic got into Hibs' penalty box and control the ball 43 times, and the second highest was against Livingston at home with 39. I think it comes back to what you were saying. Is, is this a smart thing by Hibs? I don't think it is. No. And I think it is a reason why the other teams who are not supposedly has as good as players as Hibs do this, because if you let Celtic get to 33 shots, if you let them get into your penalty box 43 times, um, like you either get really lucky, which they almost did, or you concede an early goal and then honestly you're screwed. Mm. Um, because if Celtic has scored on one of those crosses early on, Hibs might have tried to come out, and I think Celtic just would have passed a lot past them. So this, this, this your stats. I hope that was worth the wait. Annabelle, was it worth the wait? It was worth the wait, and this is why I love stats, because so many people will have been so reactive and raving, saying we're doing terribly, etc., etc., just because we haven't scored. But it makes you feel sane, because I'm sat there thinking, 
we're creating chances. We've just been unlucky. It's, it's fine. It's going to happen. So mm. it's like vindication. I think we're all yeah. learning to trust that a bit more and seeing what we're seeing with, because most people I've spoken to about this game had that same feeling. I think that it was a bit of a roller coaster ride and that they, there was fear for sure for me, definitely. <laughs> but like also another bit of you going, it's going to be fine. And I think you can see, you can kind of, it's nice to have it laid out in numbers to prove that it's a bit more reassuring than we thought. Um, we're going to move on from that game. Um, we are going to move on and take some questions from the listeners, if that's okay with you. Christian's putting his hand up. Is that okay with you, Christian? Oh, two fingers up. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> right. I like it when the listeners get involved. We don't uh, always get them. I, I think the, the, the questions are hidden from us. We've sometimes. got this one, which is yeah. a nice short and sweet one, um, which is, hi, lads. Do the lads and... Well, let's call ourselves lads. Do the panel agree that Dudgeon seems a good appointment? What new markets do you see him opening up from us? And that's from Troy. Um, Christian, of course, I will come to you. I don't want to spend ages on this because we'll probably discuss it in other podcasts a bit more length. But just as a as a kind of a first impression, what do, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, so, so Joe Dudgeon has obviously been... Uh... Scaled, uh City Football Group, <laughs> where else? Um, is, is joining Celtic. And yeah, I've, I've, I've put a word in with my, my, got some sources. And yeah, no, I think he's, he's somebody who's been working across that group and, and all for all the clubs. So he's been looking at yeah, players for you know, places like New York City, Melbourne, but also for Manchester City themselves. And apparently his, his scouting reports are good quality. So it seems like somebody who's, again, is, been working in a very well drilled recruitment system and and you know you know the technical stuff in terms of skeleton reports and stuff like that. So yeah, it's another city group higher. And that's I think to somebody earlier like I, I, unless you're have a Celtic connection or a City Book connection. It's not easy to get a job at, uh, at Celtic. There's some of them, but uh, again, like with Mark Lowell, I, I think it's a like it makes sense mm. in terms of the markets. Obviously, City Group again. They're in the US. They're in uh, Australia. They're in Asia. They're across Europe. So he would have been looking at players from that suit those clubs and in those markets all over. So yeah, it it makes sense. It ticks all the boxes really uh, in terms of that. I'm not really worried about the competence of the people in the recruitment in in Celtic. It's more for me about, is it all the way to, can Celtic make deals? Can they Mm. move fast? Can can they fit players in that's not, they're outside Japan and South Korea really. I was going to ask, is an appointment like that, like saying he comes from a like really real drilled background and a system where there's like it is a quite a slick system in terms of scouting and the way that it's set up and he's come to Celtic. Like it's quite encouraging that we are able to recruit people like that and they because they'll obviously want to fit into a system where they know that they're going to be allowed to do what they do and do it well. And I think you know, we especially think back to a few seasons ago, Christian. I know that you and I have had some conversations about the kind of there were many conversations about the way that we were finding players and the way that we were recruiting. And that has, that is a vast, it's a vast improvement now. So it's kind of, it kind of demonstrates that we're doing better in that area in a way. I think there's definitely improvement. Um, I think the question mark will always be once you take Ansh out of that. Yeah. Do you keep on 
you know, moving forward that do you keep listening to, you know, or look for like the centralists and like kind of those more untapped markets and or do you again fall back on the new manager a bit more and what they prefer? So I think that's the real test. But as long as Ange is there, I think, yeah, we've talked a lot about the hit rate outside of Japan and I guess South Korea now as well, which is, it's not too bad, but there's still question marks around there. But I think overall that it's a good position as long as Ange is there. Question is always going to be what, what happens when Ange goes. Um, but hopefully yeah. something is being built up that is actually listened to when he does go. Yeah. No, absolutely. Annabelle, anything to just add as, before we move on to the next question? No, just, just briefly to agree that it's, it's good to see that sort of commitment to investing in what is quite basic operational infrastructure in a football club. And, and like you said, developing that in a more professional capacity, which will hopefully just ultimately see, yeah, better deals, less wasted fees on players that turn out to be duds and getting our fingers into more of those international pies <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um, or i could just say exploring new markets like a normal person <laughs> i like fingers and pies um the next question is a bit of a long one uh, it's from kevin thank you very much kevin um i'm going to read it out because otherwise i'll try and pa- well i might paraphrase as we go through we'll see how i get on ready <laughs> As the season rolls on, I find myself thinking about Champions League football and the starting eleven I'd want us to play and signings we would need for a successful European campaign, as many of us are thinking. Um, what would your starting lineup be and what positions would you like to see investment in? Um, and Kevin's put together a starting eleven. He's talked about Maida starting because he feels like he's got a more of a breadth of ability that to play against the higher opposition, higher quality opposition than maybe Jota or Haksabanovic. Jota on the right is our current option, but maybe worried about that right-hand side a little bit um, and not maybe trusting Abada. And um, he says, I currently don't have much faith in our eight options outside of Hitate and Awata has looked good. So I've gone for a bit of a wild card. He's picked Awata in that spot. Well, it, it, I think it's put, has he put... Callum McGregor in the eight. He's put, his, he's, he's gone for the old switcheroo. <laughs> he's, so he's got Taylor, Kobayashi, CCV, Johnston. Then in front of Kobayashi and CCV, he's got Iwata. And then he's got Hitate and McGregor. And then he's got Maeda on the left, Jota on the right, and Kyogo. So, I mean, we will all have our thoughts on this. Um, he finishes up saying, um, I'd be worried playing, a pre- playing against a press with Starfelt and CCV. So Kobayashi comes in. Um and he would also be happy to swap staff out for CCV. There's a lot going on here. Um, obviously, a new keeper is needed, but I didn't bother including that. <laughs> um, I think the point of just reading through all this is that there's some, probably some work to be done on this squad. Let's come to you, Christian, on what your thoughts are. I mean, first of all, Kevin sounds like the the perfect review uh, listener. He <laughs> agrees with me and Graham on almost everything. So, <laughs> Well done, Kevin. <laughs> shout out to Kevin. Um, Big tension. My brother is called Kevin. One of the few people in Norway called Kevin. Is it not? It's not <laughs> um, a common name. Not in Norway, but he was, he's named after Kevin Keegan. That's another story. But <laughs> I, yes, I, uh, I guess to to go through like the different parts of, of the team there, and that, a lot of what we and Graham kind of talk about. We, I think we sometimes we feel like we maybe being too critical. But I think we're being critical in the face that 
what is more than good enough domestically, as we've seen, will not be good enough in European football. Like, and that is a lot to do with what you can get away with, you know, how much you can practice certain things in, in certain games domestically. But it's also the type of players that I think it is. So, yeah, I do think a goalkeeper is needed. I'm not as sure as a lot of people are that it will be a new goalkeeper next season. It wouldn't surprise me if Joe Hart is there. Centre-back pairing, you know, um, me and Karen Devlin is you know, the number one uh, Kobayashi fans. I, I I think you will need, for me, <laughs> I think I would rather take a chance on Kobayashi, even though there, there is, you know, Starford and Cesar is a very, very good defensive partnership. They do have good qualities, but I think both of them are low average when it comes to being press resistant and both of them. So I think you need to change it up. If it's Kobayashi, great. I also think both Starfield and CCV have a look good beside Kobayashi as well. Talked about one of them might go. So again, I'm happy with that. The number eight, again, you know, let's talk about I'm a Matt O'Reilly stan, but I do think you can bring another player in there. Because for me, as we talked about, see what Aaron Moy can, can bring you domestically and, and how effective it can be. I got my doubts that he can, that Celtic can not get away with that, but his, that his strengths will outweigh his weaknesses on a European stage. So I think, if, but I do think if David Turnbull goes, yeah. Um, I think a number eight is, is needed. I think on the wingers, again, I think you've got somebody in Nevada there who a lot of people like him a lot. I just, again, come back to the fit. So I think if Abada was moving out, I think you can upgrade it. If that's a natural right winger, great. I, I don't mind Jota on the right, to be honest. I think sometimes you put him on the left, like I guess Tibbs, can get up a bit clinging on the ball sometimes and he can't release it. And I think he kind of wants to come in and, and shoot on his right. It doesn't happen that much on, on, on the right-hand side. So I did, for me, I've kind of lost my thread on what I'm actually going to answer here. I kind of agree with Kevin that there is areas that naturally you might lose some players or players like Turnbull, Abada, mm. Michael. And I think you then have the option to really improve on that. Um, I think Matt O'Reilly can slide in there as well. Um, yeah. But I think the Celtic have to improve from where they are now. Like maybe even slight player-wise, but also what to do, especially off the ball, after position. Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think they absolutely need to do that. Annabelle, you're nodding. What are your thoughts? You know, keeper right wing and number eight are the ones that Kevin's highlighted here. But like looking at the squad that he's picked or thinking about the squad that you would pick at this point, what are your kind of overwhelming thoughts on that question? I think my overwhelming immediate reaction is that I'm a complete coward because I feel like I I really like Kobayashi, but I just want to see more. I just don't think he's played enough for me to really feel confident one way or the other. Everything I've seen has been good, but it's just hard when you've got so so little data to go on. And and I do feel kind of similarly similarly with Iwata. And again, it's not that I think he's looked remotely bad. I just don't think I've seen enough. And We've never seen them play in the system in Europe, or at least with some of the other players, you know, it's kind of known what to expect. Um, so, yeah, I am a coward. 
Um, I definitely would probably like to see us, yeah, upgrading on the right wing, especially there's a lot of talk about Abaddon maybe being, you know, off at the end of the season. Do I think now's a good time to cash in on that and try and upgrade? Yeah, probably. Is 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 he going to get much better? I don't know. But I don't think it's something we would regret. So yeah, it would be good to get in. But at the same time, I also am quite happy with Jaw on the right. I'm easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeper, yeah. I, To be honest, I would quite like to see us really kind of invest in a new keeper. But I similarly don't think it's going to happen next season. I think it'll be the season after that. Um, where we actually kind of spend big bucks on a big name keeper. But do I do I think we're ready for Europe? I don't know. I don't know. I do think that there's there's more upgrades to be had. And but at the same time, I still think we're in a better position than we were going into last season. So it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah. And I can I can also reveal that on the beyond the scoreboard that will be out next week. Now we do have a, a section on what does Celtic need to do. To improve uh, yeah. tactically, after that, that for me, it's it's a lot to do what I to do off the ball. <laughs> but but, but the, the last one, I, I do think there's an opportunity today that we this these changes can happen quite naturally. At this, so the, I think it sent the half one of the center halves might go, and then you you don't have that decision to make. You can you can bring in somebody else as well. I think David Turnbull might be going anyway. So bringing in a new number eight that can kind of with you know, um, O'Reilly and Moy, for example, I think if Abada goes as well, again, you got a really good excuse to, to kind of bring in an upgrade on the right hand side as well. Um, yeah, I think is it's funny, isn't it? Because this is one of those questions where always we'll look back on the discussion that we're having now, and we kind of won't believe where we were now in a few months, probably when we're looking at you know, I think saw someone you know, posting a lineup from when Edward and Christy were playing with Kyogo and play things like that, going, this is a real thing the other day. And I went, what? No, because so, you know, things can change really quickly. And we also know that that can happen in an Ange team really easily because he is not a sentimental man and he will <laughs> do what needs to be done, we hope. Right, on to the next question. Uh, this is from Andy. Uh, I am going to paraphrase here. Um, he said, just say apologies if you've covered this, but he's just... It's, it's this issue about, he says, I seem to remember an article weeks back saying the SPFL was one of the, if not the lowest top league in Europe for having the ball in play. Not new to us, but um, going to email mail in after the Hearts League game, but didn't. But after Saturday, wanted to bring it up. Fans are being shortchanged in a big way. You go to a game and when you come up against a side like Hibs, as you said earlier, Annabelle, <laughs> the last thing they want is for a game of football to break out. Um, and then you've got David Marshall, a decent professional for nearly 20 years, putting the ball out from a goal kick six or seven times. Um, some rugby tactic to win throw-ins up the left-hand side. And not only Hibs seem to do this. And his question is basically, are the SPFL doing anything to fix it? I don't remember us having 15 minutes of injury time in a league game before Hibs. Um, and he's not happy about it. And it doesn't make our league look great. And then therefore it kind of reflects maybe badly on all the teams, but the bigger teams. And I know that Christian, you had put on the rundown about, we wanted to talk a bit about that, that specifically, but also in particular, you know, this idea about there's been some discussion in recent days about how you make Scottish football work better. And there's obviously the two top clubs who are, either either one of them are winning 
each season. What are your kind of thoughts in reply to Andy, first of all? I think the point about the stats and how often balls in play, that's probably something we can, we can run after the end of the season as well, because, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, if that was the case at all. And I think, uh, I mean, Celtic has faced a 5-3-2 now for months, except against Rangers. So, and I can see why teams are doing it. Some teams are doing it better than others. And I think Celtic's just overwhelming, you know, the system and, and how capable they are with the ball just <laughs> makes that the, <laughs> kind of what teams have to do. But Celtic is also kind of caught in this catch-22 that because they are so good domestically and offensively, because teams are choosing to set up in these ways against them on such a consistent basis now, I think they're simply not getting the match, you know, the matching to be able to develop other sides of their game, specifically when they're out of possession uh, of the ball. So, and the more successful Celtic are in the Champions League, the bigger the disparity with the rest of the league, and the more you kind of catch this this, this cycle. And I, I think there's a, there's wider things around how good Scotland's football coaching development is, like the culture of the game, how I guess curious and ambitious they are. With, developing tactics and stuff like that. And I think you can do a lot of that. But if Celtics, if Celtics don't want to get stuck in that kind of cycle there is now, where you have a league where you dominate, but the league isn't actually good enough for you to, it makes it essentially the quality of the league and how the disparity between the teams make it more difficult for Celtics to take a next step. Mm-hmm. And no matter almost how much money they have, that is always going to be there because that money isn't really a substitute for, you know, having that matching and everything. So, so things like, what do you do? Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean that's what people... Andy, that's what Andy wants to yeah. know, Christian. What do you do? But also, I guess he wants to know. Uh, I think the question goes it goes wider than Celtic, doesn't it? Because it's kind yeah. of like it's a league issue as much as it is a an issue for speci- and every club will have their own specific issues within that. Um, that are affecting them in in different ways. But I mean, Annabelle, this is a question that we could probably do and probably will do um, numerous whole podcasts on, but just in, in answer to Andy and kind of thinking about some of the discussions that have been had in recent times about it, what are your thoughts? Yeah, a lot of thoughts. So I'll try to be concise. Um, what I've been wondering, thinking about this is, is it, an issue with just the way that Scottish football in general is marketed and presented to the rest of the world. Um, the standard of our officiating is bad. The standard of our pitches is bad. The weather is bad. There's not too many things that would attract not only players from wider markets, but also managers from wider markets. You know, we see a lot of managers who just kind of go on like this grand tour of Scottish football, club to club. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have, you know, Scottish managers. Obviously, this is our country. We need to have homegrown talent at all levels. Um, But at the same time, and I know Celtic is obviously an outlier for many of the reasons Christian highlighted, you know, we've got a lot of funds. We can we can attract managers of of a higher caliber but when Ange Postacoglu came here from 
um, the Japanese league. No one gave him a chance. Everyone assumed he would be terrible. They assumed you wouldn't know the game. And look at the transformation he's done for our club. And look at the exciting football we're getting to watch now as a result of that. It shows that if you take a pun on someone from somewhere a bit more obscure, you can get some really interesting and innovative football rather than just oh, the same old dirge that we see rolled out in the form of a back five week after week. And I'm not, I don't know enough about, you know, management in general, but I don't know if that's to do with it. But part of me wonders if we could improve the overall standard of the game and if, if the SPFL could actually commit to properly marketing our game and, you know, not underselling us so much I just wonder if there's a lot more revenue to be had there for everyone and and you know we could be attracting some more innovative tactics from all over the world into our league and kind of showing what happens when you experiment and try to do new things than just try to survive against Celtic and Rangers week in week mm. out yeah I mean there was I'm just there was a announcement last week of the new something called Scottish football marketing so it's interesting that you brought that up, which is a Scottish FA, Scottish FA, Scottish SPFL and SWPL announced. It's like a joint venture between them to kind of, they, I'm reading it now off the um, Scottish FA website, centralised commercial hub to revolutionise the promotion and marketing of the national game in Scotland. So the fact that maybe people haven't heard of that means that they're maybe not doing such a good job of marketing it so far. <laughs> I don't know. But but it, the the fact that that is being put together, like things like that are a positive step, aren't they? That like if Andy's asking, is the league doing anything to fix it? Is Scottish football in general doing anything to fix it? That's the kind of stuff we do want to be seeing. But Annabelle, I think you're really right that it's like, it's, it's kind of about the product, isn't it? It's about how we create this product of Scottish football to be something that works for everyone. And there are so many different strands within that, that we could be here all night talking about it, Christian. <laughs> I definitely could. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we I, know that. I, I, and I don't think it's probably one for all the podcasts, but I think it's, it's for me, it's, it's I, I, one of the parts is definitely what Annabelle said in terms of the marketing. And I think, one of the suggestions I'll put you and see what you think is about how can you give the rest of the clubs in Scotland more money, essentially. But there's also a question, what would they do with that money? You know, but that's another one. But I think it's like, there's a few things. There is specifically the league format. I think 12 teams is too, too little. I think that can be doing I think there's too many tiers and stuff like that. So I think there's things you can do with the competitions themselves. I think, in terms of space and marketing side, I think if you had a more appreciative, let's be honest, political class, they could really embrace football in Scotland, like in the way they like rugby is kind of embraced, like like a public sport. You can easily do that every week with football, but it takes political will around. Mm. I think it's just easy stuff like alcohol license, but also policing and. Um, Things like safe standing, safe pyro, all those things like to actually create a proper village around each stadium that you can go and you can spend and you could have that. It, that would that's really remarkable. Throw VAR out, people. Be, that's that's a great marketing tool already. Just give it the rid of VAR. Um, so there's things Celtic can do around that as well. But here's the one thing I kind of wanted to, to drop a little bit of a, a bomb here and see what do you think about this? Because if we talk, if we agree that. 
Celtic and to a degree Rangers having so much more money than the rest of the league are creating these kind of huge differences in the football Celtic face domestically and in Europe. If we take as a fact that giving clubs more money will mean that they're better and play better football, that's true. But if, if you take that leap of faith, do you think to kind of get out of that cycle, Celtic or Scottish football should do a little bit more what the American sports do and say, pull some of the income. And what I would say then is say, see all the clubs in Scotland that qualify for Europe. See their TV and price money. If you put that in a pot and you took 25% of that and gave it to all the other teams and say the two, two, two top tiers in Scotland. I know I just sprung that on you, but do you think you have to do something really quite drastic that at one point seems stupid, like give 25% of your Champions League money away every year. But in the end, if you created that pool of money for all the European income divided among the league, would that in the long term like be a good thing? It doesn't have to be 25%, but at least how do you just distribute, redistribute income so that the league is better, essentially? it's. I think it's a really difficult question and it's definitely not... Like you saying that it's like we've I've heard suggestions like that before and I I can I understand the motivation behind it I'm obviously really close to women's football in Scotland and we've got like an even more kind of magnified version of this in the women's league where like the bottom of the league is so vastly different in quality to the top of the league that it's a new league though so like we kind of don't know how that will play out in the next say five to ten years and whether we will be looking at something a bit more of an even playing field but in terms of like the top leagues in the men's game I think that there probably does have to be some like bold visionary stuff happening but I'm definitely not one who's qualified on the spur of the moment (laughs) to decide what the answer is (laughs) and it's like five minutes at the end of the podcast isn't it the time to debate that but I do wonder like because to me it's like that's the only third option one is just roughly doing what you're doing now and within the parameters of how bad Scottish football is. The second is something drastic happens with where Celtic plays football. If they start playing 20 games in Europe instead of 38 or there's some sort of league, or there is some sort of third way where you actually just make the Scottish league a lot better, but drastically. And I don't think, I think you need better marketing, Annabelle. I think you absolutely need that. I think Scottish football itself can do better. But to really get out of that cycle, I think you need something a lot more drastic. So I think it's it's one of those three choices to for me. Yeah, much much to discuss there. I think um, Andy, you've just scratched the surface, and we will keep talking about it. Um, thank you to everyone who asked questions and who took the time to send them in. We'll be, I'm sure if you've got ones for next week, let us know. Um, but this has been an absolute joy to be able to step in for Graham. I hope I've done a good job, Annabelle as well. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me and I hope I was a good um, Graham sort of replacement almost along with you, Claire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's he's so good he needs two of us to replace him, that's the thing. Uh, Christian not convinced at at least you didn't actively try to get me into trouble like Graham (laughs) does every time but I mean the interesting bit, Graham will be back next week but the week after that, I'm away 
Ugh, so it's all over the place. But let's let's see what happens. Then. Let's see what happens then. Um, Christian, as ever, thank you very much. This has been the review. I've been Claire Wilde. She's been Annabelle McDonald. He's been Christian Wolf. And we will speak to you, whichever ones of us end up here next week down the road. <laughs> <laughs>